Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series regarding our renewed vision for our church. Together, we are learning to be hungry, humble, and hospitable disciples of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Well, how many of you have looked at one of these in the past year? This, of course, is an eye chart which is used to test our visions, something ophthalmologists would tell you you need to get done every single year. In a similar way, once a year here at Cherry Hills, we set aside a Sunday about this time of year that we call Vision Sunday. It's a time for us to renew our vision, to sense what God is, where God is leading us. I want to mention to you, if you're a visitor with us this morning, you picked a great day to come on one hand because you're going to get to hear a a new emphasis of where we believe God is leading us. But I also want to mention to you, this is unlike most Sundays in our church family. We're going to be very information heavy. Some people have described it as a state of the union kind of address. So just be prepared for that. But clearly, as two of the leaders in this church, we just want to spend one week out of the year to say, hey, church, here's where we've been and here's where we're going. Here's where we sense God's vision is for us. Now, we want to stay on track always with the mission God has for us, and that is something that never changes. What is the mission God has for our church? Maybe you don't want to say that out loud. I'll give you a little bit of hint. It's the same mission God has for every single church who comes under his authority. Let's look at that mission once again this year. We've looked at this many times. I want to invite you to actually look at it firsthand by opening up your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16 together. The mission of the church doesn't change. This is the same mission Jesus gave his disciples before he left. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the seat either underneath you or in front of you there. We encourage you to grab one of those, and you can find this on page 698. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, we would say take that home with you as our gift to you this morning. But let me set a little context. This is the last chapter in Matthew's gospel. Jesus at this point has risen from the dead. He's appeared to a number of the disciples as well as some other people, and he's about to ascend into heaven at the right hand of the Father. But he says, I want to meet you at this mountain in Galilee before I do that. And so that's where we pick it up in verse 16, where it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love the honesty of God's word. Then Jesus came to them and said, now here is the mission God has given his church. Let's read it from the same translation printed on your notes there. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus ends with this amazing promise. As you go and fulfill this mission, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you like to use message notes and you're using them this morning, I want to say to you as we begin, the mission of every church, every church is to join God in making disciples, period. That's the mission of the church. It never changes, right? We are joining God in his work in this world, which is drawing people into a relationship with him. That's the mission. But friends, here's the great thing about the Lord and his design for the local church. Just because the mission is the same for every church, the way a church goes and fulfills that mission doesn't have to be the same. 
a church may have a different vision from another church on how to fulfill this mission. There is no one-size-all-fits vision. That's the beauty of the diversity of the church, in my opinion. I think God is just a genius in this. Every church is called to a particular vision as to how they join God in fulfilling the mission. Now, I love it. We're unified in the mission, right? That's why we pray for other churches in this city every week. We are unified in the mission of making disciples, and yet we are diverse in how we're going to go about accomplishing that. Think about it this way. Today, pro football officially starts, and the mission of every football team is to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year, right? Except for the Cleveland Browns, of course. We, we know that's... <laughs> But the vision of how they're going to get there is going to look very different for each football team, right? It's going to depend on personnel. It's going to depend on strategy. It's going to depend on coaching. I think it's similar in the church today. Now, for six years, if you've been a part of Cherry Hills, we were sensing that God's vision for us, for making disciples, went a little bit like this. We were saying, we believe that God has called us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves, by becoming and making disciples who love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. That has been our vision the last six years for accomplishing God's mission of making disciples. But this morning, Jeff and I want to share with you that for the past year and a half or so, we have sensed God's desire to renew this vision together with you. We have sensed that he may be asking us to pursue something a little bit Different. We have sensed that we need a different emphasis on the particular kind of disciples he's calling us to make. Now, before God shares, or Jeff shares, ooh, that was really dangerous right there. Before Jeff shares, who is not God, the new vision for our church, uh, I know you obviously can see it there on the cards on your seat and your banner. We're not trying to hide it from you or anything, but I want to share really quickly the part of the vision that has not changed for us. For six years, we've been saying the problem that God has wanted us to solve as a church family, like this is a particular thing God has given us, is that we want to fight against shallow Christianity, and that has not changed for us. We still believe the problem God is calling us to solve as a church especially when it comes to myself, is this problem of shallow Christianity. This is something we're going after. Now, if you've never heard us teach on this, what do we mean by shallow Christianity? Well, shallow Christianity is a form of Christianity we see everywhere, right? Especially in my own heart, where I want to give Jesus just a little bit, a little slice of my life, but not the whole thing. I want to let him be savior. I want my ticket punched to heaven, but I don't want to make him the Lord and king of my life. The picture I've shared looks like this in the past, right? Here's my life. It's full of all these different slices. I've got work. I've got family. I've got my hobbies. I've got my friends and so on and so forth. And I give God a slice of that. I mean, I'm a good person. I go to church once a week or whatever it may be. But as we've seen in the gospels, especially this year, as we've been going through the gospel of Luke, that's not what the call of discipleship is, is it? This is what God is really after here. He wants the whole thing. He wants the whole thing. If I could sum up what we mean by fighting shallow Christianity, I would put it like this on your notes there. Fighting shallow Christianity is wholehearted surrender to Jesus. Wholehearted surrender to Jesus. It's being all in 
with Jesus, no matter what, it may cost me. The call to discipleship, we see this again and again in the Gospels. It's not just an invitation to believe certain things are true about Jesus. It's a call to completely reorient my life under Jesus' kingdom, under Jesus' authority. It is, as we saw in Matthew 28, to obey everything that he has commanded me. Obedience is just the natural result of a wholehearted disciple. It's just what's going to happen in our lives as we place ourselves under his authority, as we fight against this tendency of shallow Christianity in our lives. We have said this many times before, friends, but nobody, including myself, is just going to drift into mature relationship with Christ. Can I get an amen to that? That's why we call it a fight. It is a constant fight, a daily surrendering to Christ and his purposes in my life. And we believe as a church that we are still called to go after that fight because what he offers us is worth it. He is worth it. His kingdom is worth it. And so we are gonna continue to learn what it looks like to surrender ourselves wholeheartedly to him. That's still something we're going after as a church. It has not changed, but listen, here's what has changed the way we're going to go after that. And I'm excited for Jeff to share that with you this morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm not God. (laughs) You already knew that. As Steve said, fighting shallow Christianity in ourselves and being wholehearted disciples of Jesus is still God's desire for us. But in the past 18 months... The way we sense God calling us to join him has come into a renewed focus. So allow me to share this renewed, refreshed vision God has been laying on our hearts. And in order to do that, I want to invite you, would you please read Acts eleven twenty three out loud with me? You'll find it in that second gray box in the message notes. And as you're getting ready to read, let me just give you the background. When the first church was born in Jerusalem, After Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, another church eventually formed north of Jerusalem in a city called Antioch. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard about how people's hearts were turning to the Lord up in Antioch, they sent a man named Barnabas to go investigate and make sure that it really was God working there. And so when he arrived, notice what happened. Let's read it together. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. What was the evidence of the grace of God that Barnabas saw there in the church at Antioch? Was it all the things that they were doing for the Lord? Or was it the spirit in which they were doing everything they did? I would say that it was the spirit that he was struck by in the hearts of the people. Friends, what does it look like when the grace of God is working in our church? When the grace of God is working in your heart and in mine? This morning, we propose that if our church family will continue to let God's grace work in us, he will, in fact, make us more hungry, humble, and hospitable just like he is. And all that we end up doing as a church will be a win because it will all be traced back 
to his gracious hand. So just want to say to you, these new banners, these little blue cards are in no way us announcing what we're going to do for God. We simply want to name what his grace has already been doing in us and will continue to do in us if we let him have his way and if we give ourselves wholeheartedly to joining him in this amazing calling that he's called us into. And some of you may be quietly thinking to yourselves, oh no, what happened to the banners with the words, love the Lord, love one another and serve the world? Why do you guys keep changing things? I was just starting to catch on to those. How often are you guys going to keep giving us more words to learn? Don't you have better things to do with your time? And that's completely fair. So what is all this H3 disciples talk about? Last night, uh, before I went to sleep, I was thinking about today, I was thinking about how this might hit you, where it might find you. And I was naturally a little nervous about how to somehow get this across that you might benefit. And then before I went to sleep, this thought came into my mind. One day, I'm going to stand before God and give an account. I'm only one of the shepherds of this church, but I will give an account for my oversight with you. And if on that day, I'm able to look back and see that I was able not only myself to pursue, but to help many of you pursue these character qualities, these attitudes of being hungry, humble, and hospitable with Jesus, I will consider my life well-lived. And that's one of the reasons why this has become so important is because we're more interested in the spirit of our church than just what we do as a church. We're more interested in the kind of spirit we have even when we're miles from a church building. So if you're following along in the notes, here's the question that we've been wrestling with for over a year. What kind of people, what kind of people are we trying to make with Jesus? What kind of people are we trying to make with Jesus? When he said, go make disciples, what did he have in mind? In the past, we've answered that by saying that we want everyone to do this. Love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. And those are still very important commandments for us to obey. But our latest discovery is this, and it's found in the next line in your notes. Who I'm becoming matters more than what I do for him. Who I'm becoming matters more. Who we're becoming matters more than what we do for him. Do you understand what we mean by that? Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 13 when he writes, look, if I speak with the tongue, tongues of men and angels, if I solve all mysteries, if I give everything I have to the poor, in other words, if I do all kinds of noble things for Christ, yet I'm not becoming a loving-hearted person like Christ, then all my virtuous activity is worthless. Maybe, like me, you've done a lot of noble things or right things, but sometimes with a bad attitude or with, an unselfish or with a selfish motivation. So how do we make the focus more about becoming than doing in our church. If you're following along in the notes, here's what we're discovering. We learn Jesus' way 
with three heart postures or attitudes. We learn the way of Jesus with three heart postures or attitudes. What are these three postures or attitudes, you might ask? I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Hungry, humble, and hospitable, H3. Would you be willing to take out that little blue card that we put on the seats there? And as you look at these, again, we just wanted to give you something that you can take out of this room today with you and think about this with together. So would you mind saying these three H words with me as we kind of get used to them, as we kind of walk around and, and, and begin to wear them? Let's say them. Hungry, humble, hospitable. How about one more time? Hungry, humble, and hospitable. Now, let's really take a dare. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and try it without looking? Hungry, humble, and hospitable. Now look, here's what we want you to know. Can you imagine if every age group in our church, children, youth, and adults, began to pursue this kind of character, this kind of heart, and we learned how to do that together. Now, some of you may say, like, what is it? What, what is it about postures. What do you mean by that? Well, here's a definition on the screen. Uh, it's the particular way we deal with a person or situation. It's our approach. It's our response. It's our attitude. It's the spirit in which we interact with someone and not just what we do or say, but it's the tone. And so let me just say this, that H3 is not completely new. Some of you may recall that four years ago, I sat up here on a stool and introduced the first two H's of hungry and humble. I shared that if we will pursue being hungry and humble together, the spirit of our church will be a testimony of God's grace and amazingly healthy. Shortly after giving that talk, a man came up to me after a church service and said that he'd begun calling these first two attitudes H2. For hungry and humble. I remember thinking, that's good. But maybe you weren't part of that. So today I'd like to renew that same vision as we emphasize becoming before doing. And today we'd like to introduce the third H of hospitable. We know that this is an unusual word choice. And if you're like some of our staff, this is the H that'll require the most explanation and getting used to. But we hope that the more you say it, and the more you understand what it looks like to be hospitable like Jesus, the more you will appreciate being hospitable. But imagine if people did this. Imagine if we walk out of the room and even when we're nowhere near a church building, these were the three attitudes that we kept coming back to again and again as a church. And let me just say one more thing. No matter how big we get, as a church, these are three attitudes we can never, ever afford to lose. As I unpack H3, let me underscore two things. First, Steve and I's primary goal this morning is to simply get H3 on the table. We know that this is brand new. We pray you'll begin imagining what your life might look like, what your life might look like, if you practice these H3 postures wherever you go, every day, and the impact that that could have on us as a church family. 
And then these next three Sundays, we're going to spend a week on each H so that we can understand them better and get a better handle on what it would mean for each of us to practice these H's. Second, not only do we see Jesus model these postures in the New Testament, but he celebrates them in his famous Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5. These postures or attitudes are kingdom postures and attitudes that he blesses. And next week, we'll look at some of the Beatitudes that underscore H3. So, let's begin with the first H of H3, hungry. What do we mean by hungry? If you're following along in the notes, what I'm hungry for means what I give my heart to run after and want most. What I'm hungry for means what I give my heart to run after and want most. Whose job is it, friends, to stay hungry? I can't be hungry for you. You can't be hungry for me. But when God's drawing us, it's a strong indication of his grace working in our hearts because none of us will even be hungry at all unless God first works in our lives. But in your notes, out to the right, you'll find a John 4:34 reference where Jesus talks about what he's most hungry for and wants most. He tells his disciples these words, my food is to do the will of God and to finish the work that he sent me to do. That's what, that's what I get hungry for. That's what I want even more than bread. I want God to be the one that I'm in fellowship with. I want to see people far from God, like this Samaritan woman at the well here, to be redeemed. I want to be in rich community with you, my fellow disciples. That's what he hungered for. Contrast what Jesus is hungry for with the religious leaders of his day, known as the Pharisees. Though they claimed to be all about following God, the fact was that they were apathetic and hungry for power, position, and people's praise more than they were for God. They also didn't seem to want God to redeem some people. There was no evidence of them responding to the grace of God in a way that would make them hungry. Back when I first introduced this idea of being hungry four years ago, when it was still H2, I shared an example I'd been reflecting on, what makes the tone, the spirit, or the atmosphere of certain churches healthy and vibrant, while other churches are anything but. Our daughter Natalie came home from college one weekend. She'd been visiting other churches near her school in order to become part of one. And she said to me, Dad, I love Cherry Hills. I asked her why. She replied, because people there are hungry to learn and grow. She said, I know not everyone in Cherry Hills is this way, but it sure seems that the majority are interested. And then she used this phrase, because they lean in on Sundays when we gather to worship and study God's word. What a posture. They lean in, an evidence of hunger. And it hit me. When what our hearts want most is God and being in true community with his people and seeing him redeem people far from God, that hunger is an unmistakable evidence of his grace at working in us. And it's a win for the kingdom. So for the first H, hungry, are you hungry? Are you hungry? What do you want most? 
The second H is humble. If you're following along in the notes, who I'm humble with means how I willingly place myself under God and other people. Who I'm humble with means how I willingly place myself under God and other people without competing, comparing, or thinking I'm superior to them. Like Jesus, am I becoming willing to take the low place and put on the servant's towel and wash people's feet? Jesus was humble. The Pharisees were proud. And people saw the difference. By the way, they still do. The question is, am I, are we, cultivating a posture of humility in our everyday interactions with those closest to us and those around us? Or are we holding on to a proud posture instead? I love what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. I think we have it here on the screen. Let's read it together. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you see that? Learn from me. Learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and humble in heart. And I can help your heart become like that too. I can make you like me. As we continue to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus, in his grace, I think you'll find like I do that again and again, he will lead us back to being humble, having a humble posture instead of a proud one. What's the answer when we aren't being humble? I mean, anybody relate to not being humble sometimes? Uh, I just, in the last 24 hours, pulled that one off. What's the answer? Run back to humble. So the first H in H3 is hungry. The second H in H3 is humble. And the third H, here we go, of H3 is hospitable. I'm not sure what you hear when you hear the word hospitable. But let me offer this definition for you in the notes. Who I'm hospitable to means how I welcome and make room for God and others. Who I'm hospitable to means how I welcome and make room for God and others. Jesus had a hospitable posture. He welcomed sinners. He welcomed the least of these. He made room in his heart for people, and they felt it. From time to time, he'd ask someone, what can I do for you? The Pharisees, on the other hand, had become mostly a clique who by and large stopped making room in their hearts for God's words, for God's people, and anyone who wasn't Jewish. Far from hospitable, they were often cold and consumed with their own comfort. And that's the pull that every one of us will feel. But here's how I'm finding H3 helpful in my own life. Almost every week, I invite the Lord to show me if I'm becoming hungry, humble, and hospitable with him, like him. And when he shows me evidences that I am, and he does sometimes, I praise him and remember it's because of his grace. But when he shows me ways that I'm not becoming hungry or humble or hospitable, Rather than beating myself up, rather than feeling just guilty about that, what I often do is I just become aware of it. And when I become aware of it, I humbly repent and let my heart move back in that direction. 
And I might add that I often feel like Barnabas around here because I see evidences of the grace of God so often in so many of you, like my daughter saw. And so this gives us a way of saying, what is God pulling us toward? What is God calling us back to again and again and again? Because when we allow the spirit of our church to be affected that way, it's powerful. Bottom line, if you're following along in the notes, as we grow with Jesus in these postures, becoming will lead to doing. As we grow with Jesus in these postures, becoming will lead to doing. I think we've got this phrase up here on the screen. This is kind of the idea that's really driving why we're talking to you about postures and attitudes before what we do. Because becoming has to be before doing if it's going to come from the right spirit. So as we focus on becoming hungry, humble, and hospitable together with Jesus, the net, the net result is that we will then love the Lord. We will love one another. We will serve the world. But we'll do it from a healthy motivation and posture. Growing in H3 attitudes not only can transform everything we do as an individual, but it can also transform everything we do as a church family. Well, I don't know about you, but that gets me fired up as a recovering Pharisee, as I've shared before. Uh, it was so easy to focus on what I was doing for God, but really what God is after is my heart. Uh, he's after who I'm becoming. He's wanting me to become more like Jesus. Now, obviously, those three things are only words until we begin to actually embody them in our lives. And for us to embody them, if you're following on your notes, H3 discipleship requires us to take personal responsibility. <laughs> If you want to fight shallow Christianity in your life and become an H3 person, nobody else can do that for you except you. I have to take responsibility in my own life to pursue these things. And so that means whether I'm here at the church facility or I'm at home or I'm at school or I'm at my workplace, I'm constantly seeking to become the person Jesus is asking me to become. Now, I say that, but that I want to add that, that we also bear a responsibility as a church family for your growth and for our growth. We're in this together. We're the body of Christ. And so we're committed to helping us become H3 people. And we're doing that in three main environments. Again, this is nothing new to you. We've shared this before. But how do we come these, become these kinds of people? Well, here are three environments where we think you can help you can begin to grow in these. The first one, if you're following on your notes, is on Sunday mornings. When we gather together as a church family, the pattern in the New Testament is pretty clear. The church gathered together in the temple all together, then they gathered together in each other's homes, and then they had individual private times in what's often called the prayer closet with the Lord. And our commitment to you is to make Sunday mornings an opportunity for us to grow in these postures. Sadly, the trend in American churches today is that American Christians attend church maybe one or two Sundays out of the month. And we just want to ask you, can we really become H3 disciples without gathering together as the body of Christ a top priority in my life? Sunday mornings are set aside for us to dig deeper into the word of God, for us to lift our voices in praise to him, for us to encourage and challenge one another with the call that he's given us and to recognize that the Christian life is a we thing, 
not just a me thing. So we're committed to making sure this, our time on Sunday mornings is going to help us develop these postures. The second environment we feel is essential if we're going to grow in these postures is groups. If you're following there, groups. You've heard us use this language before. I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited because in the last year, Pastor Brian Wilmarth and I have been talking about how we can get better at communicating this together as a church. In the past, you know, I've overseen Sunday school classes or men's groups or other things, and he's overseen life groups. And we just want to say to you this morning, we just want you to be in a group. Some smaller intentional community that is learning and growing together in these postures. So whether it's a life group, a Sunday school class, a men's group, a women's group, a prayer group, we don't really care as long as you are intentionally pursuing these things. And I've got good news to you for you. If you haven't taken this step yet, if this is something God is placing on your heart, tonight you can actually get involved in one of these groups. We have our Life Group Connect event. And even if you haven't signed up for that, If this is something that there's a yearning inside of you, we welcome you to come back, hear a little bit more of what life groups look like in our church family, and you will even have an opportunity to sign up for one if that's what you feel led to do. The third environment where we grow as H3 followers is serving. Serving. We can't just get more information and think we're going to become disciples, can we? If I just attend one more church service or one more Sunday school class or one more Bible study, then I'm going to become an H3 person. No, the truth is I have got to give my life away just as he gave his life away. And so that means discovering my gifts, sacrificing my time and my resources. Just as the Son of God came not to be served but to serve, we too are going to follow his example and we're going to go after serving both inside of the church's walls here but also outside in our church's community. And speaking of serving with our gifts and resources, Jeff's going to share a little bit about you. This is the information part. Like where are we going as a church? What do we need you to know? Well, here's some things we need you to know about where we're going together in the future here. I'm not sure if you were here 10 years ago this very weekend when we held our first Sunday morning worship services on this campus in this room, but our church family was less than half the size it is, our our church then was half the size that it is now. And in response to a dream that God had given us, we committed ourselves to sacrifice and invest in making room for more. Room for more people and others to learn with us what it might look like to become wholehearted disciples of Jesus. And today, here we are, and my, has God's grace been upon us. There is no other explanation for what's happened these past 10 years, and I was wondering if it would be okay for us just to pause and give a hand clap of praise to God to acknowledge his gracious work in our church. Would you mind? But now, in order to move forward as a church in becoming and making more H3 disciples of Jesus, we've concluded after much prayer that there are three investments that'll be important for us to make as a church in these next few months and years. If you're following along in the notes, we see those three H3 investments being in outreach, staff, and facilities. I think we've got the words here on the screen. Those three H3 investments being in outreach, staff, 
and facilities. So let me just talk about first outreach. One of the reasons I sense God has blessed our church is because we've tried to remember, sometimes imperfectly, those outside our church family, and not just ourselves. To the degree that we remember those in need and those who are not yet saved by grace through faith in Christ, God's hand will be with us and will strengthen us. Ten years later, as we anticipate our mortgage being fully paid off by year end, and it is a real possibility, praise God, one of our priorities is to intensify our outward focus through serving and mission concern, both near and far. How much do we have left to pay on our mortgage? By the end of September, I'm grateful to tell you that we will owe $260,000 or less, thanks to so many of you giving faithfully. Please know that as we've aggressively sought to pay down our mortgage since moving here just 10 years ago, we've had a both-and investment strategy that has remained intact the entire time. What do I mean by a both-and investment strategy? It means we've invested in both what God's doing inside our church and in what God's doing outside our church. For example, by year-end, our church will have had the privilege of giving over a half a million dollars this year alone to mission partners outside our church walls, both near and far. Moreover, in the last 10 years, we've seen God raise up a whole new group of missionaries from our church and servant-hearted volunteers. Imagine if we can continue this and grow this. By no means have we reached our full God-given potential as a church And we must keep learning how to mobilize even more of us in this church to give our time, money, prayers, and hearts to serve the people of our city and world. But we have our eye on outreach, not just in reach. How do we intend to invest in outreach? Let me just give you one example this morning. As the leaders have been watching our mortgage go down, someone suggested, what if we take a thank you offering in December? Out of gratitude for how gracious God has been to us, how generous he's been to us, what if we took a special offering after communion on that day that would not be for us, but it would be for others? So today I'm happy to tell you that on December 3rd, you're going to have the opportunity, if you're willing, to invest outside our walls by giving a special thank you offering. And it's going to be divided in two ways. I think you can see this here on the screen. One half will go to our friends here locally of Fresh Visions Community Church to help Pastor Roy and Jackie Newman and the Fresh Visions family with their new church building at 1551 David Jones Parkway just south of the airport. I was invited to pray at their groundbreaking a couple months ago, and I found myself thinking back of how I'd once been through that process out here on this ground And I saw what it meant to them to be able to finally, after 10 or 12 years, to finally have their own church building one day. And so what if we were able to help them do that? Last night, by the way, we hosted Fresh Visions and about 10 or 12 other churches in a mime and a praise dance ministry here. And it was was a rocket ride. I was so glad to be here. But when I called Roy this past week to ask if their church would be okay receiving part of our offering, 
He reminded me that we had actually helped them one other time before, and then he said this, Jeff, we will gratefully receive your gift and make sure that we also turn around and bless someone else in the future just as you want to bless us. And I found myself thinking, way to go, way to go. The other half will go to our mission partners in Thailand, Jeff and Annie Dieselberg, and their ministry called Nightlight, which helps free women from slavery in the sex trade. They estimate that it cost about $4,000 to set one woman free. Imagine if we could, through this thank offering, invest in helping a number of girls and women escape the horrors of sex trafficking and find new life in Jesus. We want our first H3 investment to be in outreach. The second H3 investment that we want to make is in staff, particularly as it relates to outreach. Some of you have asked, why do we need so many pastors and staff? It's a fair question. The truth is, we're actually at or below the national average when it comes to staff for a church our size. Maybe you were part of the church like I was 32 years ago when we had 200 people on Sunday mornings and four full-time staff. But now that we have 1,400 people on Sunday mornings and a lot more than that in our database if everyone showed up, we only have 14 full-time staff. We know that we've got to improve our ability to communicate better with you about what each full-time staff person does, and we're going to do that. But the truth is, is that we need to add some additional part-time support staff and a full-time person to help us reach out beyond our walls. So next year, Pastor Lee, as we've already told you, will shift into a new role as discipleship pastor to help our guests get connected and all those already inside our church move further along in the discipleship process. By offering a discipleship path unlike anything we've been able to offer before. But for almost four years now, Brian Schwarberg, who was up here earlier, has been wearing two hats, both full-time responsibilities. He's our family pastor, working with our children and families, and he's our mission pastor, working with our local and international ministry partners. He has done an amazing job juggling these, but each week, he lives with a nagging feeling that we're missing prime opportunities to serve Christ outside our walls and to serve them well. Brian has helped us see that until we have a full-time person on our staff who can devote complete attention to these ministry partners and outreach opportunities, we're squandering the opportunities before us. With a full-time outreach director on our staff, we dream of more of us being mobilized to serve our city and volunteer there, to go on mission trips, and to come alongside our mission partners locally and around the world like they need so much for us to do. So we want to make H3 investments in outreach, new staff, and finally, the third H3 investment is in facilities. Perhaps you don't know this, but we regularly have over 300 children in this building on Sunday mornings, fifth grade and younger. For all you parents who drop off your kids each Sunday, you know we've long since outgrown our children's space, making it less than ideal for you to check in and check out your kids each Sunday. And we want to thank you for your patience and understanding as we grow. But we also want to be hospitable, especially to our guests and first-time visitors. 
The elders, deacons, working group, and staff have looked at this matter of space issues from many angles. And as we've prayed and met together, we've sought to come up with healthy stewardship solutions. Recently, at the direction of the elders and deacons, some of our leaders have met with an architect to see how he'd suggest we expand our facilities with the children's area being our highest priority. Nothing solid yet, no blueprints have been drawn, but by early 2017, we thought it's important for you to know that we'll probably need to talk seriously about expansion plans for the children's area and more. We've looked at ways to build more classrooms and meeting spaces out to the east, which by the way, would make the walk outside our main building and the rock shorter. We've also looked at what it would mean to expand the lobby and the offices to the south and the west. But why invest in facilities? Just one reason, to make room for others that God may graciously lead to join us, become H3 disciples with us. Stay tuned, we'll be sharing more with you later. You overwhelmed yet? <laughs> we know that messages like this can feel just like a ton of information that you're receiving from a fire hydrant or something. There's tons for you and for me to chew on. And again, that's why we're glad that we're going to spend the next three weeks especially unpacking those three H's together. But as we close, I just want to make sure we don't lose the forest for the trees after all of that. I just want to remind us or ask the question, can you imagine what would actually happen in our lives, in our church family, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our city, and in this world if we truly were less concerned about what we were, quote, doing for God and more concerned about who we were becoming? If we were becoming more like Jesus, those things we would be doing would be the natural result of our lives. What if we really committed to wholehearted surrender? What if we committed to being people who are hungry and humble and hospitable? Now I look around this room and Jeff has already said this, I'm looking at faces who I know are already going after these postures and I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for modeling that for me and for others. As a pastor, I go to the first step class every time one of them is offered and I get a chance to tell my story to these people as well as uh, what I do here at the church. But I also get to meet some of the newer people God is bringing to our church. And I gotta just share with you, not one of those classes goes by where I don't hear at least one person say already how our church has, has uh, had these postures at work. They remind me of how it's amazing how hungry people are for the word of God to be taught here on Sunday mornings. They can't believe how authentic and real everybody is, how humble people are before them. And they're amazed when they step foot on this campus, the welcoming spirit that they receive. So I just want to say, these are things we're already doing. Way to go. But here's what I want to ask you as we move forward from here, as we close, if you're following on your notes. Will I give myself to becoming an H3 disciple of Jesus. Will you join us? Will you join us as we go after these things? I have to think if we intentionally went after becoming these kinds of people, don't you think we would see more and more of the evidence of the grace of God at work in our midst? Don't you think we would see the mission God has for his church, which is making disciples bear even more fruit? Don't you think Jesus' dream for his church would begin to manifest itself in our midst. Friends, I want to be a part of that. And I want to be a part of that with you. 
and nobody else. So I'm look for, looking forward to what God has for us in the future. I want to ask you, would you mind standing now? And I just want to pray with you and for you. <clears throat> Lord, we acknowledge that we wouldn't even be standing here if it weren't for the grace of God at work. And so we give you due praise. We acknowledge that you are the Lord of the church and you are Lord of our lives. But we want to pray and freshly commit ourselves to wholehearted surrender. So we do that today. We want to continue to fight shallow Christianity in our lives. We're not going to drift towards maturity. So Lord, help us to go after that. Help us to place ourselves under your authority each and every day. And help us to become the kind of people you dreamed for us to become. To become more like Jesus, who was the picture of hunger and humility and hospitality. I thank you for every person that is standing here, Lord. And I pray a special blessing over them as we leave this place. Let us consider how we can become H3 disciples of Jesus Christ for your glory and for your name in this city. Amen. Prayer team will be down front. God bless you. We're looking forward to next week. We'll see you then.